Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. All right, we're by the, the fire. You feel the this warmth This is a fireside already. chat yeah. right here. It's a rainy day. So with that being said, Kyle, introduce yourself to the church if you would. Sure. Um, well, uh, my, uh, I moved here to Smoky Mountains uh, in uh, 2015. It's about four years ago, I got a job at Dollywood as a singer, performer, entertainer there, and uh, Me still too. work there. Me yeah, too, awesome. yeah, yeah, I dance. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I hope I didn't take your job. No, it's a, it's a, okay. I laid it down to pastor. Okay, anyway, go ahead. okay. Um, and I uh, met my beautiful wife at Dollywood, and we were married in February of last year, and we've been uh, members of Connect Church now, been coming here since, uh, it was the last Sunday in January, it was a, a welcome home party, and awesome. we came then, and have been serving with you guys ever since, and so glad the Lord led us here. Absolutely, we, we love having you as wife. Uh, Nina, she is somewhere here, either she's all the way in the back there, and we got to baptize her a couple months ago, or a few weeks ago, I can't remember, but, but I'll, I'll never forget what she said to me. She's the one who said, hey, Pastor Anthony, when you baptize me, could you hold me down just a little longer? You never get that request, right? Um, and, and, and I'll never forget why she said that. She said, because it happened so fast, I just wanna take it in for a minute. And so she was the slowest baptism I've, I've ever done and I held her under the water and, and her tears and her smile when she came up, and I'll, ne- I'll never forget that. We love having you guys and, and part of, as we start fleshing out how God's gonna use this young church in the years ahead, one of the prongs of our ministry is Compassion International. So Kyle, take just a moment, and kind of in a nutshell, what is Compassion and, and what is it all about? Sure, well, just out of curiosity, I'm, I'm wanting to know how many of you guys are familiar or have maybe even heard of the work in the ministry of Compassion International? Maybe you sponsor a child yourself. Okay, pretty good mix. It's yeah. Good. Same uh, ratio in the first service. Um, well, for those of you who don't know, Compassion International is a child sponsorship organization. And their, their mission is simply this, uh, to release children from poverty in Jesus' name. And uh, the way they do that is Compassion operates in 25 different countries around the world and they come into these impoverished communities and they partner with local churches. So these are bodies of believers that are already doing a good work. And Compassion comes in alongside of them with their resources and is able to transform these churches into child development centers, which create safe places within these communities that children can come and receive the care that they so desperately need. And then once the children are in the program, Compassion then comes back to the partner countries like the United States and others uh, to try to match up each child with a sponsor. And this is where compassion shines. They believe in a holistic development approach, which means that they believe the issue of child poverty is more than just meeting a child's physical needs. You know, you can throw money at the problem all day, but there's deeper needs there. And compassion truly believes that for these children to experience healing and hope, um, more than their physical needs being met, they wanna, they wanna reach the uh, emotional and the uh, spiritual needs as well. And so when you sponsor a child with Compassion International, you're actually the only person in the world sponsoring that child and it allows the opportunity to create that unique and personal relationship uh, through the writing of letters and uh, the opportunity to go visit children and things like that. Awesome, we, uh, our, our pastoral staff have all uh, engaged in this and are all gonna be adopting uh, a child from the Dominican Republic. That's where our church is gonna uniquely uh, partner with is the Dominican Republic area. And uh, one of the things that I'm very excited about is, is all that I've seen with children, and, and I want you to share a little bit of your story because as I look forward to adopting our first child, uh, through Compassion. Uh, share your story and kind of tell us what we can expect. Sure, so my journey with Compassion started back in the fall of 2011, and I had the opportunity to start sponsoring a little boy from El Salvador named David. And I think the guys had a picture of him that I, we can throw up there for you. And um, he was six years old at the time, and, uh, oh, let's get, there he is, look at that guy. Uh, 
To this day, I think I was drawn in by his sense of fashion. He's just rocking the blue yes. shirt and the blue Crocs. Um, and I was like, I gotta get to know this guy. And so over the last eight years, I've had the privilege of being able to, uh, to write to David back and forth to really get to know him. And um, I, I've saved every letter uh, that David's ever sent me. I've got them in a notebook out, out back. You guys can come by and read those when uh, we're done the service today. But uh, in preparation for sharing with you all today, I wanted to go back and read every single letter uh, that he's written me. And because I wanted to be able to present to you a mindset, you know, what are these kids going through? What are they thinking? And um, in three simple emotions, I was able to capture almost every letter he's ever sent me. First of all, he's thankful. He's thankful that I'm his sponsor. He's thankful, he's thankful that I write him letters and that I'm involved in his life. He's thankful for my prayers. He's hopeful about the future. Uh, he's got hopes and dreams just like any other child was. He doesn't see his issue as one of child poverty. He sees uh, the hope that compassion brings now. He wants to be a professional soccer player. And I think this, it's been a lot of different things over the eight years. We've gone through a lot of career changes, but he's, <laughs> he's settled now on, on a professional soccer player. And I, I try to encourage him in that. And he's also joyful in learning about the things of God. Because with compassion, remember they're working with local churches, so everything they do is pointing these kids to Christ. And every letter I get, he's got a Bible verse he's memorized or a biblical hero that he's, he looks up to and he tells me all about it. And um, so uh, a couple of years ago, my journey with compassion shifted. I was actually able to go to the country of El Salvador and see the work that they do firsthand. Uh, I was able to go on a training trip and see one of these child development centers. And I was a believer before, but after seeing firsthand the work that they do, and the, the care and the heart that these leaders have for the kids and um, the joy on the children's faces to come in every day and, and not know what the day holds for them, but just excited to be in a place with their friends and people that love and care about them and give them the true attention that they really deserve. Um, so that was just a great week anyway. But then on the final day before we came back to the States, uh, I found out they were able to bus David, my little sponsored boy, and his family, uh, three hours by bus to come to where we were. So I was able to spend the whole day with them and get to hang out. And I think they have a picture from that day too. Um, but honestly, one of the most unforgettable moments of my life. And um, we played soccer all day. We were playing in a park. We were playing Frisbee. And I'm thankful they had a translator because, uh, you know, my two years of high school Spanish was not cutting it. Um, but it, it was a Same. great time and, and a, seriously a day that I'll never forget. Awesome. Awesome. I think we do have a picture. If our team out back back could show the... Uh, out back there, could show that picture of them. I think he gave them a soccer ball. And, and one of the there unique is. things, there it is, uh, one of the unique things that we get to do as a church, uh, and it's unique because we're early on, um, is that we, we get to partner Compassion. So today, if you, uh, if you go and you, you partner with a child from the Dominican Republic through our website, um, in, in the years to come, we'll actually send mission teams there, and you'll get a chance to meet that child. And uh, Aaron and I know are looking forward to that and uh, just can't wait, can't wait to be involved in what God's doing. Now, compassion may not be for everybody, but, but you know, honestly, if you're looking for a way to, to put love in action and to be involved in what God's doing and building his kingdom, this may be a great way. I think the cost is $38 a month now. You know what that is? That is a Starbucks and a half, right? Uh, for the whole month, just one coffee and a half of another coffee. Um, or for me, it's one meal at Taco Bell, right? And so you, you just kind of work through and go, how do we do these financial priorities? But we, and we hope, our hope is one day uh, for every one of our children uh, that we will sponsor a child, which will probably equal about $3 million a month. But, uh, but anyway, that we'll, we'll sponsor uh, one of these children. So to wrap it up this morning, before we get into our message, uh, just why? Why compassion? Give us, give us the why and then tell us the how. Sure. Um, well, the, the latest statistics tell us that today there are 767 million people living in extreme poverty. 
and that is a measurable statistic. It's anyone living on less than $1.90 per day. Wow. Um, so just think about what, you know, what that looks like. 767 million people. Uh, 325 million of those are children. And to put that number into perspective, the, the current population in the United States is estimated to be around 327 million people. So 325 million children living in extreme poverty around the world. And then I uh, also think it's good to know the top three leading causes of death for children living in, in extreme poverty. Number one is malnutrition. They simply don't have enough food to survive. Uh, number two are diseases directly related to the lack of clean drinking water. And number three, is uh, curable everyday diseases that wouldn't be anything for us, but because these children and these families don't have any sort of medical access whatsoever uh, to get medical care, they succumb to the diseases and pass away. And so, you know, that's a pretty daunting statistic. How can you make a difference? How can I make a difference? Well, your $38 a month contribution uh, gets these kids, their physical needs are taken care of, first of all. They're given food, clothing, health care, and with compassion, that's at least two doctor's visits every year and more if they need it. And they're given an education. These kids will learn, growing up, learning how to read and write and really whatever they want. And what's so cool, and I saw this when I went to El Salvador, is the kids get older into their teenage years, they're able to learn a, a, a specific vocation or a trade. So they can actually go out into the community and start generating an income to help support themselves and their families. Um, all that for just $38 a month. And beyond the physical needs, you have the opportunity to meet their emotional needs. What we talked about earlier, that relationship that you get with your child to write them letters, you're pouring into them the, uh, the truths of scripture, that they are loved, that you're proud of them, that you're praying for them. And for a lot of these kids, you might be surprised that maybe the first time they've ever heard that in their entire lives. And then even beyond that, of course, you're setting the stage to have their spiritual needs taken care of uh, because these kids are in a hopeless and a dark situation and through compassion, they're introduced to hope and light. And what I love about compassion is they'll be the first to tell you that compassion is not the source of hope and light. Jesus is the source of hope and light. But everything compassion does points these kids to Jesus, points them to the source. All right. Hey, listen, um, I want us to, our team to throw up. There's a website you created. And um, there's a table out there with kids from all over um, the world. We have 30 children uh, that our hopes are this morning that we'll adopt through our, our church congregation. But, but if you want to go to the Dominican Republic and you want to you partner there, there's a, there's a website you see right there. Jot that down. You can sponsor a child from there and, and we'll take a trip over there together. And we'll, we'll go minister and we'll go get a chance to meet those children, which I, I just can't, I can't wait to do. I want to just throw this out there. How much is compassion paying you to do this? Nothing. All right, and, and I'm not, I, I, we, our church doesn't get any, and sometimes you're like, well, what's the money angle here? I, honestly, um, there, there is not. Now, if they would pay me in bacon, I mean, that would be a whole different, um, we do this every Sunday. No, I'm kidding, there, there's, no, there's no angle here. It's just the ability for our church to do this. How can we be used of God outside of these walls? And our 2020 vision, Neighborhood to Nations, how God's gonna use our church as we, as we celebrate life in the life of our community, as one day we'll look to our 200 plus children who do not have a forever home and we'll lock arm the local churches and say, hey listen, the government doesn't need to take care of this problem. The church will, as we cultivate this, this, this hope and this heart for life, one of the avenues we get to do that is through Compassion International. And so Kyle, thank you for sharing. What a, what a good morning. Let's thank Kyle for uh, doing an incredible job sharing with us this morning. And we have a video that we would like to, uh, to show you that kind of just illustrates this and does a really good job sharing the, the fruit of this ministry. Take a watch. 
was lunchtime, and my father was praying for the lunch that we were about to eat. But there was only one problem. Our table was empty. My earliest recollections is finding myself at the age of five, roaming the streets, eating from dumpsters. We were not able to have food at all, at all. We were forced to live with 17 of our other relatives in a very small shanty. No toilets. A lot of crime. No running water. There's a lot of rape for children. If you want to be out of poverty, then you have to deal with drugs. Some of my friends were actually sold into prostitution. And as darkness engulfs the place, the devil takes over. One morning, I just woke up that, you know, my uncle is just touching me in some parts of my body that I just thought to myself that this can't be happening. My father was murdered right next to my mother. And I knew that moment that my life had changed. I watched as my 10-month-old sister died in the laps of my mother out of starvation. My relatives always tell me, Michelle, you are so ugly. You look exactly like your father. You will become nothing but a thief and a drug addict when you grow up. And those were the words that I heard from people whom I expected to love and take care of me. Poverty had told me I am hopeless, I am nothing, and I believed that. But right in the middle of this desperation, it was then that compassion intervened. One Sunday morning, my Aunt Carol, she registered me in that compassion project. What joy and dancing came to my home at the news that I'd finally got a sponsor. I received my first letter. We wrote back and forth. They told me, you're my first friend outside my continent. She said words like, Richmond, I love you and that lightened me up. My sponsor told me that, Michelle, you are beautiful. You are precious to us. We are proud of you, and we are praying for you, and we love you. And the words touched the very depth of my heart and soul. Eighteen years later, here I am, a child rescued from hopelessness. She was 15 years old. Her name is Ashley. Her name was Heather. I called her mom. One act saved my life. Saved my life. Will you act? The choice is yours. Sponsor a child through compassion today. Release a child from poverty. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I love it. The Lord will allow us to be a part of such an incredible thing. So God has stirred in your heart. Uh, and honestly, it's going to take being more than just moved by a great film. It's going to be take more than an interview on stage. It's, if God's stirring in your heart 
to be a part of that, see them at that table out there or go to that website and, and register uh, to adopt a child for the Dominican Republic like my family will and, uh, and, and get on board $38 a month to, to just loving some kids and making an internal difference in their heart and their life. I'm excited about that. You know, this, uh, this week has been really cool. Like I'd mentioned, watching this Ridge Outdoor Resort take place and kind of come and take shape has been really incredible. Let me tell you my favorite addition. As you drive around, as you leave here today, you're gonna notice that every RV pad, there is a fire pit. Don't all good things in life happen around a fire pit? Like every good conversation, every long night. I, I, love, I love building a fire. I love stoking the fire. I love watching things burn in the fire. I love the smell of fire. I love it on my clothes. I love being around the fire, sitting near it. I love watching things burn in the fire. Have I mentioned that already? Is there anybody else in here just loves watching things burn? They're weirdies like me. Okay, good. Great. I, I'm not the, I, mean, I just love watching a, a fire pit and sitting around one. It's just a great joy. And as I think of that, I think this morning, I want us to do is, is I want us to, uh, I want us to pay a visit to a couple of campfires in scripture. And, and as we go there this morning in scripture, as we sit beside these fires, I want us to begin to glean from Jesus and learn this truth that God can use you and that God can use even me. We've been in a series of messages over the past few weeks, a series of messages entitled God Can. It's this idea that, that God uses the impossible as the stage upon which he displays his glory and might all throughout history, all throughout scripture and in and through our lives. That God can do the impossible. It's an incredible truth of our God. And yet again today in scripture, as we sit next to the campfire, we are faced with another impossible situation. That impossibility, Peter's comeback. The impossible situation by this fire today is surely after Peter's failures, surely after Peter's great fall, Surely God can no longer use him. So let's do this. Let's take our Bibles. Let's go to the Gospel of John, John chapter 21. And because I'm not going to lose the campfire feel, I didn't put the scriptures on the screen today. So I might have to actually use your Bible today, right? Get in there because I love this, right? We're, we're doing the campfire feel today. In John chapter 21, I want to frame this up. I want to set up this scene for you. Ready? This is the third appearance to the disciples on Jesus' behalf, meaning since Jesus was crucified, he rose from the grave. This is the third time that he's appeared to this group of men called his disciples. Now we find it's early in the morning here in John chapter 21, and the boys, the disciples, have gone fishing. They're out there in the water, and all of a sudden, John tells the account that a stranger calls out to them from the shore. Say, hey, fellas, how's the fishing going today? Now, John lets us in on the identity of this stranger, and we know him as we read the gospel to be Jesus, but, but the disciples, including John in the boat, had no idea who he was. They hollered back, hey, hey buddy, listen, we're not catching much. Well, the stranger calls out to him and says, hey, take that net and cast it to the right side of your boat. And I could imagine them going, who's this guy I think he is? Why don't he go buy his own boat, get his own net, and then we'll throw it in. You know, I could imagine that. All right, we'll do 
They take the net and they throw it in. Hey, by the way, if you ever fish, I quote this scripture all the time when I fish. When I go out fishing, I'm cast you to the right side, you know? And then before I know it, I'm doing a complete circle and just hopes that God will honor my quoting a scripture and this passage. But anyway, that has nothing to do with anything. But, but I remember they, they throw their nets to the right side well, all of a sudden. Imagine as the weight of such a great catch comes on, their boat begins to pull down and all of a sudden, nets that had been empty all morning were now filled and overflowing with fish. And this is the scene that John chapter 21 begins to set for us. In fact, as they look up at the stranger, John looks out to him and says, hey guys, that's Jesus. And Peter, in his great fashion, and what Peter is great for and known for, takes off his outer clothing, jumps in the water to run to Jesus. They recognize it was him. Look at verse nine in the passage. And the Bible says, when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. So they, they land their boats, and over here by the fire sits Jesus. And here's Peter trying to wring out his clothes. He'd just been in the water. He's warming himself by the fire. And here come the rest of the disciples and there's fish and bread, right? First century, wakey, wakey, eggs and bakey going on right here with fish and bread. And that's what we see here in John chapter 21. My girls wake me up all the time. I go, daddy, wakey, wakey, eggs and bakey. And there's only Fruit Loops, right? Imagine the letdown. But here, man, we got, we got first century eggs and bacon and it's, and it's fish and bread. Now the scene is set. But here's what I begin to wonder as I look at this campfire in John chapter 21. As Peter kind of dries off and he sits next to Jesus as he starts eating of the fish, starts eating the bread. I wonder if his heart was struck. I wonder if his mind began to fill. His heart began to be overcome by this reminder that it wasn't long ago, last time Peter stood beside a fire, that he was in close proximity to Jesus. And, and instead of it being on the shore, it was in a courtyard. And instead of him fishing, Jesus was on trial. And, and Peter was out by another fire. And, and listen to how the story unfolds. In John chapter 18, verse 17, Peter stands outside of the trial that's taking place with Jesus and a, a young girl comes up to him. You aren't one of those man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. And he replied, I am not. And now wait a second. This guy right here had just spent three years following him. Without a question, He's one of his disciples, and yet in the car courtyard, right next to a campfire, as Jesus stands trial, Peter says, I, I don't know him. I, I'm, not, I'm not with him. This is the first of, of what would be three public denials of Jesus on Peter's part. And I think of this first denial and the subsequent two other denials that will take place, and I think of this. Surely Peter's done. Surely God is done with him. Surely it is impossible for God to use Peter 
after denials in a courtyard, after desertion at the cross where Peter was nowhere to be found, after the doubts that would cir circulate around his heart and his mind through the weekend before Jesus was resurrected, doubts to Jesus' teaching, doubts to Jesus' promise. Now look at Peter, and as he sits there at the campfire in John chapter 21, I think there's impossible for God to ever use him again. Just impossible. Surely he was done. But the problem is, as we go back to the campfire in Scripture in John chapter 21, and we begin to see what God does best, and that is he takes an impossible situation, and we realize that God can, that God can do the impossible. Watch this in verse 15 of John chapter 21. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Right? He's sitting with the rest of the disciples around this fire. And Jesus said, hey, Peter, do you love me more than the rest of these guys? That's an awkward moment, right? I'll never forget I, the church I came from. I love dearly. Uh, First Baptist Indian Trail in Charlotte, North Carolina. Pastor came into a staff meeting. And there was like 20-something ministers on staff. And he said, uh, he said guys and ladies, I, I want you to... I want you to go around the room and I want you to tell each minister their greatest weakness in ministry. Awkward. <laughs> and then you start lying going, what's the least thing that I could pick on, right? I just, I hate awkward moments. I hate them for me because I feel awkward and then I really hate them because I get embarrassed for other people. Do you ever, I hate being embarrassed for other people. But I can imagine Peter sitting there by the fire and he's just like, Jesus, like, hey, do you love me than all these other guys in this awkward situation? I begin to think, why would Jesus ask him that here publicly in front of these other guys? And what seems to be somewhat of a rhetorical question, I think Jesus is reminding Peter of his proud declaration before Jesus was crucified and, and would rise again, before he was killed on the tree, Jesus told the disciples that all of you are gonna fall away on account of me. Listen to what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 26, verse 33. And Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. In another passage, he would say, Jesus, I would die for you. And Peter was so good at that. Hey, Peter, do you love me more than these? Like Jesus was reminding Peter of his proud declaration before his publicly devastating denials. Because here's what Jesus is doing. Here's what he's looking for in Peter. He's looking for more than just words from Peter. And with these questions, he begins to probe his heart. Hey, church family, can, can I encourage you and challenge you in this? That Jesus wants us to love him more than just our words. He wants us to worship him with our lives. With our words and with our lives, he wants us to worship him. He, he doesn't want a love that is, that is wrought with inaction. He wants a love that takes action. And he begins to question Peter here in this passage. Listen to this. Do you love me? Jesus is addressing the elephant in the room. Right, Because he had yet to deal publicly with Peter's denials, his desertion, and his doubt. In fact, just when he thought the first denial was bad enough, let's take a glimpse at his third denial in Luke chapter 22, verse 59. 
About an hour later, another one asserted, certainly this fellow was with them, for he's a Galilean. In verse 60, Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Man, I don't know him. And as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. In verse 61, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the words of the Lord, had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows, the Bible says, you will disown me three times. In verse 62, watch this. Peter went outside in verse 62, and the Bible says that he wept bitterly. I wonder if Jesus, sitting next to that campfire in John chapter 21, was still struggling greatly. As he warmed himself, I wonder if he was still battling the grief if he was still battling the guilt, if he was still battling the shame that would raise itself up in his life, and if he was still battling the brokenness. Now, we know that Jesus and Peter had met more privately prior to this John chapter 21 campfire, and certainly there, Jesus and Peter talked about his denials, about his failure, about his fall. But what we begin to see here that Peter's denial was so public that it was important for Jesus to deal publicly with Peter. I love what Warren Wearsby says. Warren Wearsby, you may not know his name. He's an incredible pastor and an incredible biblical author and commentary. And he died this past week, nearing the age of 90. So I thought it'd be fitting just to quote from him. He said this about sin. He said, sin should be dealt with only to the extent that it's known. Private sins should be confessed in private and public sins in public. And we recognize that Jesus in his questioning of Peter does exactly that. Look on in scripture as we go back to the campfire in John chapter 21. Look at verse 15. Jesus asked him, do you love me more than these? And, and Peter says, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Verse 16, again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, then take care of my sheep. You know what I love about Jesus? <laughs> Is that in his questioning and in his relationship with Peter that Jesus leads with love. The very fix for Peter's broken heart, his broken reputation, his broken testimony, his broken life was the love Jesus had for him. It is a love that emanates from God, is exemplified in Christ, and made effective in the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, in and through the life of the believer. It's a love that John 3.16 reminds us was freely given. It's a love that Romans chapter 5 or 8 reminds us was demonstrated for us. It was a love that was accompanied by action on behalf of God through Jesus Christ and ultimately for us. You know, I think of these words and I think of this passage and if you've been around the church scene at all in life and you've heard a pastor preach through this, there is a great deal made of the word love here. Now we have, in our English language, we have the word love, right? Like, I love my wife, I love my children, I love bacon, I love pizza, right? I love my truck, I love the Vols. Hey, that, that word love is used the whole lot and you really gotta context it up to see exactly what, how, how much emotion you really got tied into this, right? Love my wife, love bacon, how does this go, right? How, how deeply does he love these things? Well, in the Greek, there's actually three words that are translated love in the Greek language. 
There's agape love, which is a spiritual form of love. There's phileo love that was translated to the word love. Now that's where we get our word Philadelphia, our city name for that. It's, it's brotherly love, phileo love is brotherly love. And then you have eros, which is a love that is sensual and primarily sexual in nature. And by the way, is never used on part of God or behalf of God or in relation to God and his love for us or our love for him. So eros is even off the table. And what we see here in this passage is we see the use of these words kind of interchangeably. What do I mean? Uh, Jesus looked at Peter and says, do you agape love me? Well, yes, Peter says, I phileo love you. Jesus, do you agape love me? Yes, Peter says, I phileo love you. And then ultimately his third question, Jesus says, do you phileo love me? And, and Peter says, yes, I phileo love you. And all of a sudden, we've just spent two hours talking about two Greek words that honestly throughout scripture are used interchangeably. What do I mean by that? Well, if you were to look into scripture and you were to talk about these two words and how they are used and, and how they are brought about in the scripture, you find this. And that is whether you go to John chapter three, verse 35, you find that the father's love for his son is referred to as agape love, that's the word used. But phileo love is used in John chapter five, verse 20, yet again to describe that same love. So you're like, Andy, I don't care what a phileo or agape is, what in the world does that have to do with anything? That's the point. This passage is not about parsing words that are used interchangeably. This passage has everything to do, and I don't want us to miss the point here, has everything to do with the love of Christ for us, and in return, the love that he calls us to for him. And so don't miss the point in all of these colorful ways to play around with language. The point is, is that Christ loves Peter. And Christ desires for Peter to love him with more than just his words but with his very life. The passage is about love and the return of such love. So Peter, do you love me? I love you. Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Tend my sheep. All this talk about sheep and lambs. Is what really Jesus is after as a pet sitter? You ever thought about that? Is he gonna be gone for a while and needs his livestock taken care of? Hey, by the way, I'm a terrible pet sitter. Let me just, so don't ask. Let me give you a couple examples. When I was a teenager, a family in this church, uh, the Furnats used to hire me to dog sit for them. I'll never forget, they had a dog about this big. It was white. It was cute. Went over there and fed it one night, accidentally locked it in the laundry room. I don't know if it's a full moon or not, but that thing turned into a werewolf. And I'm telling you, it ate everything in that room. The door, the walls, the sheetrock, everything it could. The laundry machine, it was Ate everything, thousands of dollars of damage, right? Don't hire me to pet sit, I'll never forget my youth pastor. Sandy, I want you to come feed my dogs while I'm out of town. Man, I love to do that, I'll do that for money. Well, didn't know one of them died. Whole week I fed a dead dog. Every day faithfully watered and fed a dead dog. Had no idea that thing died until he got home. He said, my dog's dead. No clue, right? And then that same youth pastor, great in grace, um, and, and really long-suffering and forgiveness, uh, asked me to take care of his very expensive fish. He had these huge piranhas and this huge, I mean, hundreds of gallons fish tank, unbelievably beautiful. Every day I went in there and fed those fish. Well, the day he was supposed to come home later that night, I went in that morning to make sure he could see the fish food in there and everybody was taken care of. I walked in and those fish were doing this on the bottom of the aquarium. <laughs> Every ounce of that water drained out on the floor. After a while, his fish stopped doing that. 
And it was a pretty ugly scene, right? Here, here's a, I'm not a terrible pet sitter. Don't ask, but here's the deal. I, I don't know that the point of this passage is Jesus needs a pet sitter for his, long, his, his livestock. I think there's a little bit more that the Bible wants to teach us here. Jesus is not looking for a, a pet sitter, right? In John chapter 10, he is known as the good shepherd. John 10 verse 11. And the sheep are those who place their faith and their trust in him. They are his lambs and his sheep, young and old. Those are who they are. In John chapter 10, the Bible sums it up this way. As Jesus would speak in verse 27, he said, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one shall ever snatch them from my hand. Jesus in this passage is calling the believer and calling Peter specifically to feed his sheep spiritually. And not only that, he's calling even further for Peter to pastor and to guide his sheep spiritually. And you're like, oh, good, glad that out's there. I'm not a pastor, right? So I'm not going to tend to this livestock stuff. No, here's the deal. What we find universal in Jesus is questioning and his call to action, to love and action, is that it is on behalf of every believer to put our love for Jesus in more than just words and into action and to feed his sheep. Hey, how do I feed his sheep? Well, the very, the very values of this church is simple this. We love God, we love people, and we make disciples. Feeding his sheep is not only pointing people to Jesus, but is growing people up in their faith in Jesus Christ. It's not just teaching them the Bible, but it's living out the Bible. It's not just saying, hey, let me teach you how to live. It's showing them how to live with your life. It is loving God, it is loving people, it's making disciples. That's how we feed the sheep, and that's what Jesus has called him to. But why is this important? Why do we find, as Jesus sits with Peter by this campfire in John chapter 21, why is it important that Jesus calls him to action? You ready? Here's the reason why. Because feeding his sheep has everything to do with Jesus finishing what he started in Peter. Listen to Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. The Bible says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I'm going to tell you something. This conversation by the campfire had everything to do with Jesus intending on finishing what he started in Peter's life. And hey, by the way, God desires in your life to finish the very good thing he started in you, in your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And you know what? He wants to see it to completion. That's not only true for Peter, but that's true for you and me. And here's the question this morning, you ready? Will you let him? Will you let him finish that good work he started in you when you placed your faith in Jesus? Jesus is looking for a love from Peter that moves past just words and outward appearances, which Peter was really good at, to a type of love that is finished out in obedience and action feeding and caring for and guiding people to Jesus was Peter's task. And it's our task. James chapter two, Jesus' brother would say this in verse 17. In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. And what Jesus does in questioning Peter is move him from a faith that was dead and wrought with denying him to a faith that was alive and a love that was put into action. Look at verse 17. And then for the third time, he said to him, imagine that three denials and now three calls to action by Jesus. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was hurt 
Because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I can imagine as the first question came into Peter from Jesus in front of his buddies. Hey, hey, Peter, do you love me? Impulsively, instinctively, yes, I love you. But watch as this commentator notes, and I love this. But Jesus would not let him go with offering an easy response. Instead, Jesus probed him until he opened up the wounded heart of his would-be follower. Off-the-cuff replies and well-meaning superficial responses to our risen king will not work in the call of Jesus to the life of discipleship. And so what we find here at the fireside of John chapter 21, is it possible for Peter to have a comeback? Is it possible for one who has fallen so greatly for God to ever use him? And here's what we begin to learn. That comeback from any failure in our lives spiritually begins with accepting the invitation from Jesus to love and to follow him. No matter the mess up, loving and following Jesus will set you up to be used by God. God can use you and God can even use me. And one of the tactics of our enemy is trying to convince the believer that God is unable to use damaged goods. You say, well, Anthony, what is a damaged good? It is the person whose heart and life has been broken and marred by sin. But let me tell you something, church. There is no other pond by which God can fish because every single one of us have known brokenness and our lives have been marred by sin and selfishness. And here's the problem for those who would hold that God can no longer use me, for those who hold to this, that, that God can no longer make use of my life. Here's the problem for them. And that is that God graciously delights in using those who have been broken and marred by sin to do the impossible. Strengthened and led by him. But hear me, church. This comes only on the other side of loving Jesus with more than just mere words and loving him with your life. I want to rework a quote from you from last week. And here it is. Our enemy tries to convince us that our failures will always define our past, disparage our present, and darken our future. Yet the antidote to failure is following Jesus. The lesson from every letdown of sin is the very love of Jesus. And watch how Jesus ends this fireside conversation with Peter. Look at it in verse number 18. And Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. And doesn't that remind you of what Jesus did just days before on the cross. You stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. In verse 19, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to Peter, follow me. Whether it's Clement's writing or Eusebius's writings from the early centuries, we understand that the very end of Peter's life, because he loved Jesus, because he wouldn't shut up about Jesus, ended with his arms and his legs being stretched out on wooden beams. Sound familiar? As he was tied to this cross, Peter pleaded with those who were fixing to take his life and crucify him. Peter pleaded with them, don't crucify me the way Jesus was. I'm not worthy 
to die in such a manner. And so his executors flipped his cross upside down and put it into the ground. And we find the very Peter who in Matthew and John's gospel stood by a fire in a courtyard denying that he even knew Jesus. That very same Peter dying unashamed for Jesus. Only God can produce that in someone's life. And it is a reminder that this John chapter 21, this this fireside chat that seems so impossible that God can do the impossible. I read a story of a little boy once who was flying out to see his grandparents. His mom and dad dropped him off there at the airport and said goodbye to him. He went in and got a seat. and An older man came and sat right next to him, and this older man was a, was a pastor. Well, that little boy, as he kind of opened up his bag, he, he pulled out his Bible and began to read his Bible. And this pastor thought, you know, I'm going to have a little fun with this boy. And so he looked at that little boy and said, hey, hey, son, if you'll tell me something that God can do, I'll give you a piece of candy. And the story goes, that little boy looked up at that pastor and said, sir, if you'll tell me something God can't do, I'll give you a whole barrel of candy. You show me a person, a story, a life that has been broken by sin, has been marred by sin, and yet that person decides to love Jesus and to follow after him, you show me that God can't use him, and I'm gonna tell you this, that is not the God that we serve. That is not the story that he uses, and that is not the life that he uses for his honor and for his glory. The impossible is the stage on which God displays his glory and his might, and there is no person and there is no story too far gone for God to use. God can use you. God can use me. And so what's our challenge today? John chapter 21, at a campfire with some fish and some bread. You ready? Here's my challenge. Some of you might be sitting there and saying, Anthony, I'm done. Surely God can't use me. What I've done. Can I challenge you to do something? Hey, why not grab a chair, scoot up next to Jesus around a campfire, so to speak, and let him remind you just exactly what he masters in. And that is doing the impossible. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.